Welcome to the Get It Done Podcast and the Hard Truths Podcast with Scott Lurie. I'm your host, Jimmy Ryan. Today we are interviewing Scott Lurie. Scott is the proud owner of 2,200 rental units. He is the founder of F Street Lending, which is a hard money lender. He is a, I know him as a husband and a father of two to two, a 15 and 16 year old boy and girl. He is a uh, investor in all things, uh, you know, entrepreneurial investor in real estate and lending, and uh, also a, a previous investor in, in cannabis. And there's a lot of things that I want to get into. Um, he's also a huge uh, person in local charities. He gives back, and that's also something that I want to get into with you to the guest house. United Way, UPATH, First Stage, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Scott, welcome to the Get It Done podcast. Jimmy, thanks for having me. Brother, for sure. So I'm pumped to be interviewing you today because uh, we met at the Hustle Harder event. Hell yeah. And that was quite an epic epic event. I, I yeah. know you emceed it. Yeah. And, um, and actually, Tony was telling me, it was like it, it, he was worried that somebody wasn't going to show up before it. He was, he was trying to, he was going to ask me to emcee it. What was, yeah. what, what was it like emceeing uh, an event? I loved it, man. Um, I was the energy in that room Friday and Saturday, 300 people, 26 states. Uh, Tony, who was integral in the creation and promotion and drive of that event was blew my mind. You know, that was our first event here in the Midwest. The Midwest generally doesn't get those types of big time um, keynote speakers and all things real estate. And we packed it with 26 states and 300 people. We had a great attendance from the city of Milwaukee and the Milwaukee entrepreneurial community. I continue to talk to them via Instagram every day right now. And um, I was blown away. There was a 14 year old kid in the audience who continues to ask me to be his mentor and help him. And I'm like, man, you're 14. And uh, I can't wait to help this kid. So uh, it was an amazing event. Really, really awesome. I'm seeing an event first time for me. Um, but it was amazing. It's passionate. It was fun. It was about real estate. It's about what I love. And um, it was great to see everyone turn out. So fun, fun weekend. Brother, I love that. And um, and you did a great job too, by the way. Especially, <laughs> Thanks. And, and look, I had to compliment you because I knew it was your first time. Yeah. It. And it, it is kind of a tough thing to get up there and edify somebody or like just, I mean, really just to run the show. But um, yeah, there were people from all across the country. Yeah. And I met, I had so many great connections from it. And it's really me focusing on more of the consumer lending side. It's, sure. It was, it was like a different language that you're learning with like wraps and yeah. Um, Subject twos and wholesales and all the other language they're talking about is amazing. It, it really is. And I'm looking forward to the next one. And you're right. There's most events like that are in Vegas or right. in Arizona or New York or whatever, wherever it is, um, Atlanta. Um, yeah. And that's just what Tony said. He's like, I'm always flying out to all these places. Let's let's do something here in Milwaukee. And um, for sure, I, I recommend it uh, to the next one that, that's put out there, the Hustle Harder event. And uh, I want to get right into this. So I want to first talk about with you is really your love for the charities that are local here in Milwaukee. I think that it's something that a lot of people will look to you as, hey, man, you got all this money, you know, you're this successful dude. But a lot of times I think people make some money and then they forget about number one, where they came from. But number two, that they really have a responsibility to to give back and help people. What about giving to all these, like I listed them, Guest House, UPATH, First Stage, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, United Way. What about giving back to these programs is so important to you? Yeah, I think you nailed it, Jimmy. You know, whether or not we all agree or not, it is 
for sure a undertone that we have an obligation as we continue to be successful in our various walks of life that we continue to give to give back to our community. And giving back comes in many different ways, right? There's people that don't have the monetary ability to give back, but they volunteer. And then you have the people that have, don't have the time, but they might have the means to help promote and provide. Um, I, going back to my childhood, my grandfather was very philanthropic. That was one of the things that he knew um, coming, from a, coming from a background of, of Judaism where Sadaka or the give back or, or charity was known. He was very big in Sadaka and, and, and that's resonated with my life um, to this day. So I, I, have, I have a obligation internal obligation to continue to give back. I created with the help of my father, the Papa Joe in memory of my grandfather, his um, scholarship fund at the Jewish beginning school where they give scholarships to people in need who are not able to get education uh, to, 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 to provide education. Um, we give money to the UPAF and the Performing Arts Center and all of the, the guest house in Milwaukee, which touches very deep to me, 30 plus years of trying to erase homelessness in our community. And there's never been a bigger need for people to support organizations like the guest house, right? The demand for mental health, AODA, substance abuse, you name it in our society is, is, is peaking right now, but, but the peak is going to go up significantly. And so having that ability to um, be rewarded by simply providing some type of um, provide for their campaign and to provide uh, ways and means for us to, to, to do better by helping others fulfill their missions is really important to me. And I, I encourage everyone, whether it's a dollar, five dollars or whatever number you can do, or if you have your time, please be sure to support our communities. Our communities need us. Um, we're built as communities where there are some weaknesses in people and we need to support them. And I, I'm happy to be able to do that. I think it comes from focusing on what unites us, not on what divides us. And Absolutely. And, and I think that all of us as just human beings should just be... We have to be united. We have yeah, to the common them. good, the common, the common good of people needs to resonate. We need to be able to take care of each other, whether that's whether that's whatever that means. Good people should do good things, and um, being good to others is important. Hundred percent. So, and you mentioned some things like homelessness, soft yeah. soft spot for me. I'm a lender of 14 years of experience, and I've helped a lot of people buy their first homes. It's sure. important to me to get people into homes. I think that um, yeah, and they and they have a program, you know. So they have the keys program at the guest house, which is similar to getting them into homes. It's getting them into their own apartment wow. off of the streets, and so they don't get to acquire the apartment, but they get to move into the apartment. They go through the KEYS program, which allows them to have AODA and, and mental health awareness and coaching. Because don't forget, people's lives are fragile and they can be rattled relatively quickly. And with organizations like the Guest House or any other charitable organization that's supporting our community, these are backdrops for folks that don't have a support system 100%. that one might have at home that would be, hey, son, you had a problem today. And instead of him having no place to go but the streets, he has mom and dad. Well, a lot of a lot of people don't have mom and dad. A lot of people don't have family. A lot of people don't have those supports, and they turn to substance. They turn to the streets, and we have our obligation to help them. So, my encouragement to everybody to be sure that we can support those folks, brother. That's so that, that's fire. I think a lot of people do. They escape reality, and uh, they do it with drugs and alcohol or something else. Sometimes it's healthy, but a lot of times they need that AODA assessment to for to, sure to get back on their feet and. Um, 
And mental health, I think, is something that is a huge thing, um, a huge problem. Really, Address it. Get in into the, it. In, 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 the, in the post-COVID world. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, just one more touch on that. But, yeah. you know, mental health is a, is a serious problem, right? It's real. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking to Carlos Reyes, who was on our stage, who's mm-hmm. got a massive following. This guy, if you don't know who he is, look him up. But he's a phenomenal, it's a very successful story of starting literally on a dirt floor and getting to where he is today to be a, a 10-figure earner and support his family and all. Genuine but, good dude, too. Yeah, genuine. But what he said is amazing. He's like, there's days when I'm depressed. There's right. moments in 2021 when I was depressed. Mm-hmm. And mental health is real. And so he has the support mechanism to be able to get out of those dark days, but many don't. And so it's important that we go out and help them. So that's, that's my thought for you. Yeah. Shout out to Carlos. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He's a, he's absolutely a fire dude. If you get a chance to see him speak, I would absolutely uh, take that opportunity. So look, this podcast is really about the come up story and we use, uh, we use, um, Elon Musk is an example. He has a story of going from a million dollars to a billion dollars. And that's a great story. But what we're really focused on is the zero to a million story, the sure. up story. So what I want to hear about is Scott, before he was all of these things, like I'm just mentioning, like brother, there's a lot of people that will never get to all these types of things. It's a huge accomplishment, everything you've accomplished in your life. But I want to start out with um, really how you started your life. Where were you born? What yep. was um, what was early childhood like? What would your what did your parents do? What was those first few years like? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I had that dirt story to tell someone of I came from nothing, and you know, I came from a middle class family. Uh, I grew up in Bayside, Wisconsin. Went to Nicolet High School, graduated from there, and went off to higher education in Washington D.C. I, I grew up in a middle class family. I felt the pain of the middle class. I had some really great moments. I was fortunate to have parents that were there to support me. Um, But I also was involved in a family business, which is those of you who are involved in them or been involved, they're volatile. They have great years. They have bad years. They've got uh, the political family bureaucracy of nonsense. My, My grandfather and his brother had a dispute and my two, my two uncles and my other uncle had a dispute and I've gone through the nonsensical um, aggravation of that growing up. So, um, was it, uh, a crack mother who left me and was beating me? No. Was it, a, everybody has a different story, right? And my story is not greater or worse. And I, I grew up as a kid. All I wanted to do was make money. I was young when I was 12 years old. I started tie dyeing t-shirts and working at Summerfest for Andy White's as we were selling tie dyes. And I was paying me 10 bucks an hour and I'd go to his house right after school and we'd tie dye hundreds of shirts and I was making money and I, I loved it. When I was 16 years old, I started cutting grass with my business partner in my real estate. Some of my real estate today, we would cut 28 lawns a week and it was the greatest. We got 20 bucks a lawn, sometimes 30. And that was my summers. I used to play tennis. Um, I, I was all about how could I make money? That was my whole thing. I worked for a friend of mine in his condom business, Mr. Hardhead Condoms, Jimmy Paley, who's a tennis coach of mine. And I, we were, he, was a, he was a novelty condom distributor. And we were working in that business, folding each one of his inserts for a penny. We would do anything, right? It was all about, for me, it was just the idea of commerce and making money was very intriguing to me. Going back to when I was a kid, there used to be first star bank and used to get a passport. And my goal in that passport was to get it to be $10,000. And I remember going every week and depositing 200 bucks, 300 bucks, 500 bucks. And eventually I got it to 10,000 and it was, it was a, that was my goal. So 
you know, I had an internal fire to be successful by way of just making money. And everyone has that desire, right? My little kid right now, my 16-year-old is, I want to make money. I want to do X amount of dollars this summer. And I'm trying to get him to think a little bit bigger. But that's where everyone starts, right? You start from your own product of environment. Some people have a really troubled past. And those that's what propels them forward, right? 100%. Some people have a life experience that's different. And that's what propels them. Someone has an aha moment. That's what propels them. For me, I didn't have one particular moment of, you know, I knew that coming home and hearing my parents either argue about a business or seeing my family drag through the media related to uh, one brother not getting along with the other brother, who knows what else is going on, was enough uh, propulsion for me to know I wanted to be successful. And so that was it. So I just, I was, you know, one of the other aha moment, so to speak, because I was a kid from Milwaukee. I went to school in Washington, D.C. I went to school at the George Washington University. And um, I didn't visit the school before I enrolled. I just enrolled. And my grandma, who's no longer with us, went out there and checked it out. She came back. She said, Scott, that's great. I couldn't go because I was parking cars at Summerfest. My parents had a parking lot off of their facility on the corner of Milwaukee and Menominee, and I would park cars there. So $10 a car, 500 cars a day. I'm like, well, I'm not leaving to go to look at a school. I'm you go grandma. And so, but that was the time. And then I remember getting to school and your eyes open, right? You end up, you're like, wow, this world is big. I remember I was in J crew jeans. I walked into school. I was, by, you know, I was by myself, didn't know anyone. And you walk in and you're like, what the hell? Who are these people from New York? Who are these people from Boston? This whole East coast thing is and it's somewhat intimidating to some level, but it's also, I took it as, how do I get to know these people and what the hell are they doing? And my dear friends right now are from the East Coast and my college roommates are from the East Coast and they're all over investment banking and who knows what they're doing and being successful in life. And it was like, man, I, I gotta get there, you know? And was, people were wearing suits to class. I'm like, what is a suit and why are you wearing that to class? So car- carry on, yeah. That, so that, that's kind of where I came from. And, and Well, there's so many places I can go with that. So yeah. I, wanna, I wanna actually start with, um, I wanna go back to the family business piece. Yep. So I also grew up in a family business. Okay. And so you're overworked yep. and you're paid little you know well you're you pay eat what you kill at the end of the day in a family business but don't forget you got your family your employees your payroll your your union your blah 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 i mean i can go down the list it's it's i think truly the value in the family business is the education that you get and like the really the hard love like yeah. listen you're being you're you're kind of being thrown to the wolves in a lot of ways i i, I was that's how i learned so much for my work ethic is because my uncles literally threw me to the wolves and basically made it so that I had no choice, but I'm, sure. I'm waking up at, 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 at four in the morning to open up their store at 5 a.m. Yeah, and I get it, it. And like, you're not really like they expect you to work that that extra, extra hard. And then, yeah, you're right. The politics, the dis, the dysfunction, the disputes. Yeah, it's all crazy. But I, I guess you grew up in that type of an environment. Yeah. How do you think that that helps you today with all the businesses that you have? Yeah, man, that's a great question, Jimmy. I would say to you that, you know, part of it is really how do you build a team? You know, I remember that there was very little emphasis in my parents' family business on the team, right? How to lift them up because they were so focused on survival. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a chance to build the team or to, Mm -hmm. to give to the team. And instead, my focus is on how to build my team. And, you know, I'm very proud that when someone comes here and joins our team, they very rarely leave. They fit into our culture. Our culture is important to us. Team lunches are important to me. Getting together with people, celebrating the victories with the team, celebrating the wins, supporting everybody. 
that was non-existent in my family business, right? It was all about the day, right? And for me, it's all about the success of the team. And so you invest time, right? You, you, everyone learns from their challenges. And for me, it's my proud moment is to see our team get their first closing, get to their hundredth closing, get to, you know what I mean? Get to their, get to our, achieve our goals that we set forth for the year. Um, you know, celebrate with them, share with them, be proud of them, give them a chance to go have a vacation, give them a chance to go do certain things. So, you know, overall I am, uh, I, I, for me, it's really building and supporting the team that just didn't exist in my parents' family business that I used to watch. It was like, yeah, well, you know, there was no time for that. Brother, same. And you, you know, you actually remind me of my uncle a lot. <laughs> it would, it's just, it's a hard type of mentality. It really is. Like you have to, it, it, I'm sure it, it well, I'm getting, I'm getting the impression that the people that really impacted you early on had a really hard life. Like they, they're, you're kind of second generation type of a thing. Yeah. So it's, I mean, if you ask him, it wasn't hard. Did they get to go out and play golf? Did we go on vacations? Did we, yeah. I mean, I would say we were in the middle class, right? We did it, but it was with tremendous stress, right? Right. And people don't realize. So, so you live with stress, right? And people are like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, you came from the North shore. You, I'm like, yeah, but there's so many people in the North shores that suffer. There's people out West that suffer money and, Mm -hmm. and life is a real thing, right? It just is. Everyone wants to be successful. What do you want to be successful for to make life a little bit less stressful? Mm. Um, So I define success too. Is it, is it that you have a house on the North shore or is it that you're living with freedom? Is it, is it, you you know, know? for me, the whole thing is really, is that I, I, I saw a lot of it where the pressures of debt were, were insurmountable for at periods of time, mm-hmm. right? Or I found that cash liquidity was a challenge, right? right? When you run a family business and liquidity is to get a PO out, to get a deal done, right. sometimes you suffer your own personal liquidity for that deal. And I saw it, man. It, it doesn't, it wasn't like, oh, hey, this guy's coming from a, a tough place. I, I came from a great upbringing. I had a very supportive family. I had a very supportive opportunities in life. I'm grateful for those, but it, nothing, everything isn't easy. Right. And you mentioned a couple of things to, to, to move on to high school. Um, I was actually, I was talking to Tony about this. Me and him were terrible at ice. We were terrible students. Yeah. I, I was, I mean, it's just that I wasn't interested in yeah. what it was. If I was all in, I probably would have done really great. But, um, what was, what was high school like for, for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, just, you know, I was, uh, I always was a guy with heavy logic, right? I'm like, why do I need to know the sine cosine of the of this thing. Where is that? When am I going to ever use that in my life? But I also knew that I needed to get a grade in this to get to where I wanted to go. And so did college define me? No, but it brought me a different way of thinking. And so for that, I'm thankful for. So I, I I just knew how to be successful, right? Part of my life was to, to be successful, right? So if you could be successful by putting in as little much, little energy as possible to still get the A, to get to where you need to be on your GPA, to get into a university, that was my goal, right? I didn't want to do any more work than someone else had to do. That's, that wasn't what I was about. You were driven and you basically put your head down and you just got it done. So, That's it. Um, I want to talk about this. Uh, so, okay, a good a mentor of mine, his name's Renee Rodriguez. He's a great man. He's a speaking coach. Honestly, you should go to Amplify. Um, it's a great program. Anyway, he talks a lot about how everything that we do in our lives a lot of times stems from things that happened to us when we were young. Sure. Like between eight, nine and 13 is what he says, is that a lot of the things we do is to either heal our past or to honor our past. What are you trying to heal? What are you trying to honor? Yeah, I mean, you know, healing was never, I, I guess that's a fair thing. I, I guess my brain doesn't think like that. You know, I'm not 
wounded. I don't have right. these open wounds of like, I wish I could have gone back and had that moment again. You know, right. I, you know, everyone wishes they maybe had another chance to say goodbye to your grandfather or talk to your grandmother. You know, yeah, of course, we all wish those times. For me, you know, I grew up hearing various different arguments about money or feeling the pressures of money, right? I felt them, right? I felt them as a kid. I'm like, hey, why are mommy and daddy arguing about money, right? And it was like, man. And then it was like the next day, you know, they would go and do something, right? We'd be like, okay, now we're buying a new car. I'm like, wait a second, did we just argue about money? Nothing made sense. And so, so part of my mission right now is for my kids. I've got two of them and I'm really focused on I want them to have a better life than I've had, right? That's my dad. My dad always says, Scott, you've kicked your coverage. You've done way better than we expected. And we wanted to give you a better life. And I'm like, dad, thanks. Life's great. And I want to do that for my kid, right? And so my kids. And so I'm focused right now on just building that legacy and giving them the opportunity to have more. And life continues to get it more expensive and continues to... Um, cost more money and have more challenges. And I just want to make it just a smidge easier, not easier by way of don't work, right? Because right. you're working, <laughs> you're getting to work. I mean, my kid's, you know, shoveling snow and plowing lawns and cutting grass and he's working. And, and that's important to me, right? right. You, this, you have to work, you, you must work. Um, but, but working to be more successful is not a, is not a bad game for him. 100% and not, not slaving away doing something that's, that's, you know, I guess, terrible. And what a compliment, by the way, that your dad gives you out, you outkicked your coverage. That's like, I mean, yeah, he no, he proud. means it. I mean, it's genuine. You know, my right. parents, as I said, when, when I left the family business in 2003, I'm like, Hey guys, I'm giving you notice. I'm leaving. He was like, I, I felt, I feel like he was relieved from the moment. He's like, Oh man, great. Cause I don't have the burden of you. <laughs> Not, you know what I mean? But I it's like a burden. It. It's like, it was like, so I'm like left and I, it's a we, responsibility. we've been, we've been continuing to grow our business and our team. And so when I get to celebrate the moments, I, you know, he and I play in these, these golf events, father, son events. And he was just down with me in Florida. We played in, it's fun to, it's fun to be with him today where we're just father, son versus business folks. What was your first job in high school? And what was your first car? My first car, my first job, man, I had so many jobs. Um, I mean, from selling t-shirts to cutting grass. I mean, that was probably my longest summers were, were cutting grass. We used to, we used to load up. I think I had a forerunner or a Jetta. I don't remember which one it was, but, um, stick shift Jetta. Uh, love that car. It was actually the Jetta. No, it was a Jetta Trek. They gave me a Trek bike with it. And I was like, this is cool. Um, um, you know, those are my first jobs was basically cutting grass. Um, and I did a bunch of other stuff along the way. Like way, my time was very consumed with figuring out ways to earn money. So, and I want to, I want to just stay there for a second. So I think that a lot of people, Scott will see you now and they'll be like, man, this guy got it given to him, man. He got lucky, yeah. you know? And, and I think that a lot of times, yeah, I'm an overnight success. It just took me 30 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 this, yeah. is the, this is the thing that I think I, I really want people to hear is that, listen, I cut grass. I, I mowed 28 lawns. You know, I, I tie-dyed t-shirts and sold them. I worked at a parking lot to park cars. Yeah, all of that builds your success, right? You're building and building and building and building and building. 100%. And you've got good enough grades, which is like, I'm going to give you because <laughs> I definitely didn't. Yeah. And, um, and then went to college. So, okay, bring us to college. What did you actually, what did you go for in D2? 
studies. Yeah, so I went to school for uh, finance. I went to get my finance degree. Wow. Um, I got a BA in finance from the George Washington University. I, I sat in those lecture halls. I, I forged relationships. I, I, it was amazing. I mean, listen, to live in Washington, D.C., I was, I, my first dorm was on 19th and F. Our company's name is F Street because I lived on F Street. It was very creative of me. But um, so, I mean, 19th and F where my dorm was, it would take me on a bicycle under 30 seconds to be in front of the White House. And we would, our background, our playground was the, the, the mall where we would play football and baseball and screw around and have fun. And we would be, you know, so that was my, I mean, it was an amazing place. It, it truly was. It was, a, it was a melting pot. I had people, friends with, uh, uh, you know, people from all over the country, from all over the world, people that were coming as they were, um, you know, part of the, the contingency of, of politicians from various different countries. Uh, and you meet people and you're like, man, these, this is cool. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was wild. It was amazing. So you're probably the only person that I've ever interviewed that actually uses their degree <laughs> in any way. I mean, yeah. you're for finance and you have a lending company. Sure. Um, I, I guess, do you actually, if, I guess here, I, I, I like to ask this because I never went to college. So sure. it's, it's kind of a perspective that I, I lack, but I guess, do you, do you actually use your finance degree? Like, did you learn something that you can actually apply to your business today? Yeah. So what I learned, man, so that's a really great question, but it's a, it's a, it's a little bit more complicated. So I don't use the technical nature of my, uh, of the Black Scholes method to determine where my arbitrage point is going to be in this world. No, right? I mean, you don't, I'm not a technical financier, right? I'm not, we are a, we are a financier of, of real estate. So we use a different metric to finance it. What I did learn, what, what, what resonated, what came out of all of that is the extrapolation and power of, of interest and, and making your money work for you to make more money, right? And so you have that notion, right? So, so every day, every day we pay our investors every month, several hundreds of thousands of dollars of returns and investors call me every day and they say, Scott, your money helps me fuel my retirement and my life is amazing. Or, Hey, you're helping me pay off my student loans faster. Or you're, Hey, you're doing, and whatever it is, I always tell people don't have your money sit stagnant, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the wealthy, the people that are making the money are having their money work for them and make money. And if you put it in a simple bank account where you make no money, you're, you're never going to make money. You have no risk. You have no risk, mm -hmm. but you have no opportunity. And so I, I strongly encourage everyone. And what I've learned is the power of that is to say to somebody, if you give me your money as an investor, which we hold very high in our regard, number one um, code of, of, of priority in our world um, is our investor. But when you think about it as such, right, as the such happens, you learn that the power of money, right, money should double every seven years, they say. In alternative investments, you can do it faster. If you can do it two years faster, it's the same concept. If you take out a $100,000 loan and you make two payments a month versus pay one, you can pay off that loan in 13 years faster, whatever the numbers are, you know, 23 and a half. Not that I've done the math. Yeah. So, but, but, but the point of it is it's, it's the power of the money. And so right. that, that was the biggest aha moment for me out of all of what I've learned is how to make sure that your money is working for you. You know, you talk a lot about the investors and you have a certain, um, I don't know if it's a twinkle in your eye, but your voice gets a little bit, you, you're strong <laughs> on this. So yeah, very. it is very, very important to you that you don't just pay your investors, whatever they're investing back in the dividends. You don't just pay it on the first of the month. No, you pay it on the end 
of the month every month of the month before it's due and yeah it's so why important so, why why yeah so jimmy think about this as a young kid coming out of college going into real estate all i had was the confidence of me to tell somebody to invest with me, right? That's all I had. And I only had one chance at it, right? Because the moment that I borrowed money from John and missed a payment to John, John and I's relationship is different. It's forever changed. Right. Because John always has in the back of his head that one time. Right. And that's what scares people. And so for me, it's the opposite. I want to give extra comfort, extra coddling, extra assurance to our investors that their investment with me, the trust and confidence they've given me is the most paramount of importance to me. And I do not take that lightly. I know that I can lose that in one second by me missing one payment to them. And I'm just not in that position to ever be there. And so I instill that in my children. I instill that in our team. Our team knows on the last day of the month, their money better be in their account. And it's been that way for the last 15 years. And it's uber important to us. What I love about that is, is that it's, that can be applied to so many different. Well, it's everything in life, right? It is. It's everything. It's trust. It's loyalty. It's to mean what you say you're going to mean. Your word is bond. It needs to mean that. And it's the same thing in, in, um, it's a different form of real estate, but mortgage lending and real estate agents. If you tell somebody you're going to close on a certain day of the month and you don't close, there's going to be that sour taste. And we close. That's what I tell our team here. Never issue a term sheet and not close on it. Right. Now, we, and we do, we close on every loan, we, every loan we issue, right? Brother, that's unique. I, mean, that, it, I know it's unique because the industry- It's the, sad it's unique, but Well, you have to understand, the nuances of the mortgage industry is very complicated, right? It's, right. Not, it's not a simple industry, right? So 99.9% of the mortgages that are written in our country are sold or not issued by the person issuing the mortgage, right? So when you issue a loan, you're not writing the paper. It's not your money. Exactly. You might table fund or your team might table fund, but you're selling it off to some other group that's going to then send them a note. Hi, we're John and send us your payment. It's going to be securitized by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. There you go. Into a mortgage-backed security that's bought and sold on the world market. And the thing is, is that what people don't understand is, 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 is that's why it's so hard to get an approval because, or not so hard, I, I shouldn't say. It's just... There's so many different regular regulators that are in the industry. Well, there's people that touch that file a hundred times. Right. And they say, your credit score is 698. Here's your, here's your rate. Mm-hmm. And then you go and apply for a credit card that day. How many times does that happen? Or you go get an inquiry or you go buy a car the day before you close on your mortgage. They do a rapid rescore and you're like, why would you do that? Your DTI is off. Right. And people are like, oh. So for us, we're an exactly. investor. We're an investor lender, right? So we... We underwrite, we service. So we underwrite, we issue, and we service all of our own debt. Wow. So when I issue a loan, that's on my books. It never leaves our office. It never leaves this amazing team over here. We manage the whole process. I From that's easier. That's got to be easier. As a it's easier. The, so risk, what people but. do in the other world is they say, so a lot of people don't have the capital. That's step one. Right. And so to, to give you that story, we started in, we started in 12 years ago with $700,000. Well, that's it. That's it. 700. And now we have a portfolio of 55 million and we service it all and we grow into it and we have the ability to continue to grow that and we continue to partner with the right people. And there's so much money, investor money in our portfolio. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's not 
by accident, so to speak, but we issue underwrite and close on all of our own files. So there's two people that make that decision and one is me and we always close. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. And for that, um, people have great confidence in their ability to be a successful real estate investor. That's really amazing. So I want to actually, okay, so you graduate uh, from college. Yep. And, and by the way, I just I have to say this, 700K to 55 million, that's just like bravo. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> it well, wasn't easy, man. It doesn't happen overnight. Well, and, and the thing is, is that to get to 700K to invest into something, that's a lot of money to invest into something. For sure. And, and then and then also to make it to 55 million, that's that's really incredible. But take us from, okay, you get out, you, you, you graduate with your uh, BA in finance yep. from George Washington University. That's great. What, I guess... Like, did you know what you were going to do right after that? What no, was- no, no, no. So, so what happened was I didn't know what I was going to do. I wanted to, so I graduated from, I moved to, I, I started working for this M&A firm out of Bethesda, Maryland. I was, what year was this? It was in 2000. Okay. So it's May of 2000. I just graduated. I moved to Bethesda, Maryland. Maryland. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going in life. I, I'm starting to interview with some of the investment banking firms in New York and Manhattan. I'm thinking this is where my path is. And I just couldn't get traction. You know what I mean? I just didn't, whatever it was, wasn't grabbing me the traction that I wanted. I ended up taking a job working for an M&A firm in Bethesda, Maryland. I did that for a couple of years. They're still in business and doing pretty well. And I just hated it. I just hated being behind a desk for eight hours, 10 hours a day. I, I, I could do it, but I knew I wasn't doing it long term. So I ended up talking to my parents and I said, Hey, I'm going to come back. We started. So then we, then I started working for their, for their, for the family business for them in the automotive glass industry, did that for a period of two years. And within the first six months, I knew it wasn't for me. And so I kind of been talking to my parents and I was listening to what's going on. And do I want to learn more about the bigger part of the business or the manufacturing facility they have? Long story short is I didn't. And so I told them I'm leaving. And in August of 2003, I left and bought the first franchise of the We Buy Ugly Houses program in the state of Wisconsin. So I brought We Buy Ugly Houses to Milwaukee. And soon after, there's a couple other guys that are still involved in it today who were great partners of ours. We grew the We Buy Ugly Houses franchise, um, did that through February of 2009. And all along that time, while I was buying and selling houses through We Buy Ugly Houses, I was buying rental property. And then, um, giving you the story, then in 2010, the crash happened, all of this distressed assets were running around town, and I ended up buying 440 units um, within 30 days of each other, um, and closed on those and paid about 10000 a door for them in 2010. And so that kind of really catapulted us from, from having a couple hundred units to now having you know, a lot of units. And then in May, we bought another 290 units. And so kept growing and adding and building and building and building and, and managing the portfolio. And, and that's how that's how we got to where we are. Then you start developing and building your apartments, then you start building and developing industrial buildings. Um, and you just fast forward to this to this portfolio that you're pretty proud of today. Um, I'm very proud of it. You get into a bunch of different segments of of multifamily and different asset categories in multifamily, class A, class B, class C, uh, transitional. How do you move from hotels to apartments? And so we've done it all and we continue to do it all. And we're building right now a lot of apartments. We're building a a lot of square footage of industrial. And, you know, um, the team is continuing to grow and, um, you know, we continue to push them every day and and couldn't be happier. And, And so, so very proud of those accomplishments. I still love 
with tremendous passion the lending business. I love giving people the capital to go be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that works out really well. I mean, it's a it's a cool piece of what we do. Brother, so 2010 was a big year for you. Huge. January January 10th of 2010, I bought um, uh, 230 units that day. And then February 10th, 30 days later, I bought another 174 units. And then it just started to just snowfall, right? It, just, it was snowballs. You know, 230 units and then 174. Yeah, because I remember... I mean, it's a big number, but it's also like, I, I mean, you know exactly what it was because that was, it was a pivotal moment in your life. And it was you big. There's blood in the streets. Well, there was blood in the streets, but man, I mean, you come from like a, you know, that was the first time we bought, you know, we own eight families and 32 families and 64. You buy 230 units in one area and you're like, holy hell, what just happened? Right. Right. I mean, you, I remember walking the streets. I remember, I actually remember my partner's phone call to me. He's like, hey, Scott, what did we just do? Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? These were rough apartments. They were distressed. They were under a receivership. The places were falling apart. And he's like, what is going on? I'm like, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Relax. And he and I had that relationship and we still do today. So it's, it's been good. I mean, there's the trust there for sure. So, for sure. Um, okay. So man, I'm just, I'm thinking about that. How did you get the capital for that? Yeah. How, how did you so get that's, money for that? Because at the time, I, and I just, I want, I just, just to describe the time from a mortgage perspective, there was, it was the implodometer was right. there, was there. And, and there was companies completely, they've already gone out of business in 2010. Like it's literally like 2008 really was when everything really started to hit the mortgage. But once you got to 2009, 2010, a lot of places were already out of business and it was tough to get a loan. A lot of the, the minimum credit scores, for instance, on, on FHA loans were 640. Like that didn't come back to some, some investors were at 660. And that's not an FHA loan. And now you can get loans in, you know, to 500 with 10% down. There's a lot of little things you can do. But back in that particular moment, 2010. Yeah, dude, so it was crazy. So what happened was we ended up having these really great relationships over the years where we would be buying assets. We would, we would borrow people's money. We would give it back to them, right? And that's what we did. And so in 2010, it was no different, right? You, you have to have a business plan, which we had. We were going to buy these units for nothing, 8,900 a door. We were going to close on them. We were going to make them successful. We, we had the whole plan in place and I sold it, right? And it was just go out and get debt. You know, I never, you know, I've been through this business now for 20 years. Mm. I've never missed a single payment to anybody mm. ever. Mm. And if you can do that, no matter what it is, right? No matter what it is, you'll be successful. And the people I deal with that are not successful are the people that call me and they're like, yeah, you know, we have borrowers that don't pay us. And then we foreclose on them. That right. happens. And I call them and the mind's broken, Their mind is broken, right? They don't have a successful mind. Mm -hmm. And I try to say to them, I I, I mean it because I want to help them. I'm like, you just think about this all, you know what I mean? And then then they scream at you and they're like, hey, and I'm like, I don't have time to try to help this person because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't make a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm trying on the other end to say to somebody like, you... You, if you just slow down and you focus on being successful, it's going to take you two years mm-hmm. and you've got us to support you with capital. Mm-hmm. You've got to make your payments. You've got to be there. And, and what they'll say is you don't know you, you've already made $24,000 on a loan. And my, and I want to be like, grab them by the ears right. and be like, come in here for a minute. Mm-hmm. Do you know that I have expenses mm-hmm. that I pay people for the money that mm-hmm. you're borrowing but you can't 
teach them that, right? They don't get it. And so what they do is this. It's a victim mentality. No, the, but victim mentality, I have no patience for. Go right. one step further. Entrepreneurial victim mentality, don't have patience for it. Right. They volunteered to sign up for a pro program. We volunteered to lend them money. Business relationship was fine. Mm. They've agreed to pay us, mm. right? But when they go into that victim mindset, I know that they'll never be successful in mm. the business. Right. Ever. You can't think like that. I don't ever say to my investors, you know how much money I've paid you over the last 10 years? What? They would punch you in the teeth, as they should, and they'll say, hey, by the way, give me my money back. So, so it's, it's part of what you have to do is get your mind right to understand that your obligations to whomever you're obligating yourself to has to be that where you're going to be successful. If you have a broken mindset that, oh, well, he, uh, people always say, oh, the landlord's. I'm saying, do you know the landlord has debt? I'm not paying him. He's the rich landlord. Um, that's not exactly how it works, right? He has debt. He has to pay for the trash service and the water and the utilities and the maintenance and make sure the place you live in is, is, is five star. You have to pay rent. Right. And it's, it's so, you know, the rhetoric around the world right now is a little bit bothersome. A little bit bothersome. You know, I look at, you know, the paper, the glorifying one of our large landlords in the city of Milwaukee that he filed a bunch of evictions. The, the story shouldn't be he filed a bunch of evictions. The story should be a lot of people in the city of Milwaukee aren't paying rent. Right. And why is that? Why is that? Right. Why is that? Why is the headline that he didn't that he's that he's filing evictions? Well, he has the right when you sign a contract to get paid. 100 percent. So. 100%. Okay, well, um, brother, I love this. Um, and I, I want to be uh, super respectful of your time. And I'm, I'm really, I'm pumped that we put this together, really. Like, I've already, I know there's a bunch of fire quotes that we got got from this. Bunch of memes, sure. bunch of little videos. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but like, look, um, I, I guess here, to really just capitalize on this point, and then I have a few questions that I want to make sure that I ask, is that, look, you paid your bills on time to people that you could have been that victim mentality with. I never, I never would have it though. Jimmy, you got to understand something. I understand it. If somebody comes, if somebody has a victim mentality today, mm -hmm. if someone has a victim mentality today, they need to go and check that somewhere. They need to spend time with a coach, right. a consultant, right. uh, a somebody, mm -hmm. because you can't be successful being a victim. Mm -hmm. We have borrowers, and, and this is a true story, that write me letters with the victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And I write back, you've got this all wrong. But then how much time can you invest with them, right? Another 30, another 30 paragraphs on explaining the problems of their life? Mm -hmm. No. See, I'll never tell you the victim mentality. Do every one of the deals go exactly straight up? No. But I never give an opportunity or put any credence toward the idea that I'm going to fail. And if I fail, it's someone else's problem. Failure is not an option and it, the buck stops with me. That's it. That's how far it goes. Nothing changes. And that's how it is. If I'm going to borrow money from you, Jimmy, to go lend out to my people, you're going to get paid. Right. Or I'm not going to borrow your money. And that's how it works for me. And, you know, I see some really successful people that we deal with. I also see the opposite. And so I, you know, maybe the undertone is victim mentalities will not be successful in entrepreneurship. I think the other point is, is that once you get to a, a 2010 type of a market, who's going to give you money? It, these people are looking for places to put their money. Sure. The market's going crashing. Who are they going to give it to? Probably right. the person that paid them on time every time for 10 years. Right. And, and to be honest with you, as the market goes up and down and, and as we watch what happens, I get calls every day. Hey, right. what do you think is happening? I'm like, well, I can't predict the future, but I can predict me. 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh yeah, you can. You've, you've, I can predict you too for the last hundred, 10 years. I can predict you on the last day of the month, you've given me my payment every single time for the last 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, expect mm-hmm. that from me every time you borrow, I borrow money from you or you invest with me. I love that. You can, and, and, and one last thing is that you can't make somebody want it. I feel like no. I'm looking at you and I feel like how many times do you have to learn that lesson? I have to do it too. I, right. I have to learn that lesson. Like I want them to want it. I want to make You them want them. I want to make them, them successful, right? right? Yes. I feel to- like I can make a lot of people successful, but I can't fix, like when someone says to me like, yeah, and then you... I've paid 10 payments. I'm like, hold on a second, dude. Do you want to hear my problems? Did you want, no, but not problems, but like you're not even understanding life at this point. You're just saying stupid stuff that doesn't understand like how the real world works and you want to be successful in this real world? You have zero chance. 100%, 100%. All right, so um, there's a few questions that I ask everybody that comes on the show and I want to get these out. So the first one is this. Do you feel like you ever had a big break? I mean, a big break. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of big breaks that we've, that I feel I can remember and they're not big breaks. There were moments where I was working incredibly hard to be successful and they happened. So, so big breaks, like, you know, Elon Musk is a pretty influential entrepreneurial spirit and you watch a lot what he says. And it's, it's, if, and he wrote this tweet, he's like working 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last 10 years. If you call that lucky, then I'm lucky. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I get it. Right. Because I we continue to have unwavering energy here to work to be successful. Our big breaks have come by big efforts towards being successful. Right. So our big some of the big moments was being able to buy those 400 units in 2010. Right. But I wasn't it wasn't being in the right place at the right time. It wasn't a break. I was networking and working to be able to buy them, to write a bona fide offer, to go to the court, to get the court to prove me to be buyer. I mean, it took a tremendous amount of work. It happened. And I was the buyer. That's great. I look at our deal in 2009, um, 2012, when we bought 290 units out of the federal bankruptcy court. That was a big deal. But the energy that went into it was great. Someone might say, that's your big break. Um, you know, in 2014, I was in my lending business. I needed to bring a partner in. And I was networking with everyone. And I was successful to do so in, in 60 days. That was a big moment for us. That took us from where we were to where we're going. In 2021, we were able to secure a $25 million line of credit um, for our lending business to grow the business. That was a big break, but that it wasn't a break. I've been spending 12 years to get to that point. So I hear what you're saying. I don't have the big break moment where it was like we broke through and somebody picked me up on the streets as a musician. I can barely sing, but you know what I mean? So it was... <laughs> I would rather say to you, like our 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 big breaks, our our tremendous effort to go in to be successful has been proven and documented by um, a few moments, pivotal moments of our success. I love that. I love that. All right, next question. If you were to do it all over again, Scott, what would you change? Man, how the hell do you answer that one? Um, what would I change? You know, I, I don't have any regrets. I really don't. I, I, I feel like the path I've been on, I've learned a tremendous amount. I feel really fortunate that I have an amazing team around me. Like my team started from people that I'm like, hey, you've got to be on my team or hey, I got to invest time in you to be on my team or, or uh, you know, you, you learn a lot about people and their nuances and 
people are quirky. People are different. People have got their own problems. I, I get it. Right. Um, but invest in them. So I, I don't think I would change much, right? It's not like I'm one thing that I'd like, oh, I've got to change it. Um, I just, I feel really grateful that I, where I am and I know that I would continue to just continue to work hard, right? Continue to, you know, we're here every day. We're hustling every day. We're, we're trying to make the world a better place. And so I don't know if I'd change anything, right? Um, maybe I would have done more, right? Maybe I would have done more, right? Maybe that's the answer. Maybe I would have said to you, instead of owning 2,200 units, I should own 100,000 units. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like I feel content and full where I am today. And I know that I'll, I like to be, feel like that every day. It's fair. No regrets. I love it. Was there ever a time, Scott, you felt like giving up? Yeah, every day. I mean, I, I, I don't mean it like every day, but every day as an entrepreneur, it's a lonely place at the top, right? And I, I mean that, right? And I understand it. I'm like, you know, today sucked, man. It was just, we lost an RFP. We were going to close on this loan. It didn't happen. Someone was going to pay you and they didn't pay you. Someone told you they were going to do something and, and lied to you. A team member didn't perform as they should have or something affected their ability to be successful that day. It, it, it's every day, right? It, Jimmy, being an entrepreneur is the hardest job, in my opinion, especially when you're at the top or when you're by yourself or when you win and you lose, right? You win, you get a high five yourself, right? right. High five. I get a high five my team. I get a high five some of our partners. But you're as good as your last deal, right? You're as right. good as your next day. It's That's it. Um, so this day's giving up is never in my mindset, but tremendous deflation. Yeah. Yeah, but then there's ways around it, right? Maybe you go have a glass of wine. Maybe you realize that you got to take a pause for a minute and you take that minute pause. You're like, you know what? It's just not working today, man. Not every day it works. <laughs> it's just right. the way it is. And so if you just say it doesn't work today, today doesn't work. Okay, pause, come back tomorrow. Right. And you come back tomorrow, team's happy, smiles are in place. We're engaged with the premise that we're going to get shit done. That's our motto here. And we get it done. And you get it done. That's it. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's a hard, man. It's, it's a tough one. You know what I mean? I look at yesterday. Yesterday was a tough day at the end of the day for me. Just a deflating, frustrating moments of like, we've been working on some big projects and they're just not moving as fast as we want them to. And I was like, man. And then I went to bed. I'm like, all right. And today I want to do 100 more projects. Right. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so that's kind of hope the answers. Brother, brother, what's really funny is that I noticed something about you that's um, you, you have this crazy gene that I think I have. You, <laughs> you pace back and forth. You just don't stop moving. Yeah, just like all day long. It's just kind of nuts. I, 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 I literally, I'll, I'll make a circle in the ground because I just walk around <laughs> all these circles. It's just funny, that energy that you have. And, yeah. and, um, Thanks. So, okay. Uh, last question. Yeah, so, for so, sure. So to set it up. There's a young Scott out there. There is. And, you know, maybe they're working for the family business. You know, maybe they're, you know, completely overworked, tons of responsibility, dealing with politics, dysfunction, dispute. Maybe they're, you know, mowing 28 lawns in a month for $20, $30. Maybe they're, you know, tie-dyeing t-shirts, uh, parking cars. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they're... they're they're watching their parents feel pressure about money. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're driving their, you know, Jetta Trek stick shift. 
you know, maybe they're uh, just, you know, they're, they're in a desk job and they, they just hate being at the desk for, for eight hours. Maybe they're considering buying their first property. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone looking to get it done? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy, this is one of those things that I take really to heart. You know, I talk to a lot of people. I, I, I invest a lot of time with the youth. I, I'm troubled tremendously by the trajectory of our education system and the lack thereof of the product and the hope for students and folks, specifically those in the inner cities where they're underprivileged and really probably don't have that much in their minds of a, of a hope or a future, right? I, that, that rips me apart because it's everyone should have that in their minds. Everyone should have their position on life. And so, you know, what I say is find somebody to cling on to. Being successful is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a journey too. Um, you've got to have the right mindset, whatever it is, right? And you have to have that that obligate, obligatory mindset of I'll be successful and I'm not a victim, right? Because the victim mentality just doesn't work. It doesn't work in this industry. Um, it works. It works in life, right? It, it's, it's a sad reality. But um, for me, for me, I focus on I focus on the the notion, the idea that you've got to find the right people. You've got to be part of the networks where people are being successful. I saw that 14-year-old kid show up here. And this kid grabbed my cell phone number and he texts me every day. David is his name. And I'm texting back and forth with him. Shout out to David. I mean, 14, right? And so I said, David, what do you do? And he's like, well, I bust tables at this Mexican restaurant on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, Scott, I, I, I have to go to school during the week. Can I meet with you on Saturday during the day? This, this, this is true. And I said, yeah. and I'm gonna invest the time with this kid and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help him. But wherever he gets this from, I mean, I don't know where he comes from. I have no idea. I, I don't know. I don't know his, I know his name's David. But my point in saying it is he had the understanding to show up to our Hustle Harder event he had the understanding to grab me and say, Scott, can I talk to you as a 14-year-old? Sure, of course. He had the notion to start texting me, which he's done. He's done everything right, right, as a 14-year-old. And so what do you say to these people? Get in the game, right? But get in the right game. The game of success is there. The game of the streets are difficult. The game of the, the I want to go to school and college, but I can't, not, that's difficult, you don't have to go to college. You don't have to graduate to be successful, specifically in real estate, by the way. I mean, it's the truth, right? This is a no barrier to entry market, right? You just have to know how to hustle. You have to know how to have that. So, so my point is, put yourself in a position of success. Think about it. If you don't know what it is, write it down. If it doesn't sound right when you write it down, throw it out and start over, write it down again. And you'll get there, but you gotta put yourself in the right position to be successful. Wow. Wow, that's I mean that's that's just fire advice, Scott. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank our audience for joining us today. I especially want to thank Scott for spending some time with us uh, talking. And uh, Scott, if somebody wanted to uh, reach out to you to connect, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah. So I, you know, I try to be accessible, right? My my, I try to be success accessible at Real Estate Scott Lurie on Instagram is my handle. 
um, message me, DM me, send me a note there. Um, you can go to our website. You can go to fstreetgroup.com and connect with us. ScottJLurry.com is another URL. We've we've got a hundred ways to find me. I'm um, I'm all around and accessible. You know, we also are available. I, you know, my greatest part of our lending business is watching people be successful. We're accessible to those that want to be successful. If you want to be successful, come find us. We're accessible. I can personally uh, attest to that, that uh, Scott is out there trying to help people, trying to make some, you know, rights of the wrongs in the world. And, and brother, I just, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And Jimmy, that was a great hour, man. I was, uh, brother, I know, despite I know. running where I got to go, I, I'm glad we could would invest that time together. And I hope that your message gets out to the audience that people can understand, you know, you're, you're trying to send a great message to the world and you're doing, you're doing a great job. And, uh, you're also, you know, networking, you were at our event, you're here, you're in the community, you're being part of it. And man, Man, thanks, I, thanks for having me. I have so many new friends that I met at, at the event. <laughs> yeah, right? so, um, all right. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And look, if you want to uh, follow us, if you want to follow me, if this is on the Hard Truths uh, podcast, yeah. I'm, I'm at Jimmy Ryan, J-I-M-I-R-Y-A-N. And, uh, you know, if you want to support us, you took some value from today. Hey, go on the Hard Truths podcast, go on the, on the Get It Done podcast. Open up on Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom, hit that five star, write us a review, uh, hit that subscribe button. All those things make a huge difference in helping us reach more people. Once again, I am Jimmy Ryan. This has been the Get It Done Podcast and the Hard Truths Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for having us.